Welcome to the Wilton Baptist Church, where we worship God, walk with others, and win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Steve, and our congregation is pleased to share this message with you today, and we pray it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Blessings as you listen or watch. Ezekiel, so find Ezekiel chapter 1. So the ladies had a terrific ladies conference from what I hear, and I always enjoy hearing your testimonies and stories and, and things that took place. And Kyle and I had a good time. It was just he and I. And I remember years ago when Natalie would go and I would still be taking care of the girls along with Kyle. And I was really advanced in my cooking back then, so I would make hot dogs and macaroni and cheese. That's what we would have most of the time whenever they, uh, they would go. And uh, I've actually advanced quite a bit further. We learned about cookies and how to make cookies this time. So, so here's what we did. I said, son, here's how you do it. You scoop it out of this prepackaged bucket. And you put it in and you just preheat it, and there you go. So uh, we had a good time. We had some uh, pizza. We just shoved it in the oven, and, and it was a good time. We had a basketball game, and it was the last season, uh, last game of the season. And next Saturday is the championship thing, and there's some ceremonies and things going on, and, and I'm a part of all of that there at Gavin Park. So, uh, so anyway, we had a good time as well. Ezekiel chapter 1 is where we'll start out, and we'll actually be reading several verses, and we'll actually begin in chapter 3 in just a moment. Have you ever been so shocked or surprised by something that it really kind of just left you frozen, and it was hard to comprehend or to really get a, a grip about what it was you saw or experienced. Last November, a man was shocked when he found out what was causing his intense headaches. For the last five months, he had intense headaches, months of treatments. The doctors finally, they gave up and they said, we'll just have to do a brain scan. They did a brain scan and they found a pair of chopsticks lodged in his brain. The man realized that about five months earlier, he'd become drunk and got into a fight, and he recalled how he remembered vaguely being stabbed in the face by something, but he didn't know what it was. And in that fight, the man stabbed his face, and the chopsticks went up through his nostrils and lodged into his brain. I would be very shocked. I mean, I could just see the doctors be like, what in the world? How did you survive that? And even right now, I'm thinking, how could that be? And he didn't even know what it was for all those, those months. He didn't realize chopsticks were lodged in his skull. On Tuesday evening, back in December, Mario and his son-in-law, Navardo, had been in the morning, that morning, looking for a fishing hole. And they finally found a place to go fishing. And as they were approaching this, this small lake, they find a, a really crumpled up pickup truck that had turned over and it was halfway submerged in the, uh, in the, the shallow creek leading into this, this, uh, this little uh, uh, pond or, or uh, lake. And 
This is in Portage, Indiana. And so as they get closer to this crumpled up, upside down pickup truck, they get closer and they, and they look in and there's a man. And they, they go over to where he's at. He's not moving. It doesn't look like he's breathing. And they start to, to touch him. And a shock, he woke up. The man had been lying there for six days in the middle of December. These guys were certainly shocked, and the man was shocked as well by that event. What have you experienced that would cause you to just kind of step back and be shocked to the point where I can't even say anything, or I don't even want to go anywhere or do anything? That's what happened to Ezekiel. He sees something. He experiences experiences something so magnificent, so incredible, that he just sits there and is trying to wrap his brain around, to comprehend. Have you ever witnessed something so shocking or terrifying that you did not know how to process it? Here it is in Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Notice what the Bible says. So the Spirit lifted me up. And took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Then I came to them of the captivity of Tel Aviv that dwelt by the river of Kabar. And I sat there, and, and where they sat, and remained there astonished among them seven days. He was astonished. He was terrified. He was just perplexed by something that God reveals and shows to him that we'll uncover in the first couple chapters of this book. Tel Aviv, you see that writing there, Tel Aviv. It's south of Babylon, about 60 miles. And the name was reused in modern Israel. We call it Tel Aviv. But this is actually south of Babylon, this Tel Aviv that he sees. And it means hill of bread. Hill of bread, so maybe they had some wheat fields or something that would supply some bread, maybe some barley uh, fields or something. He's astonished. The word astonished is the word shamim, and it means appalled, astonished, astounded, desolated, devastated by what he sees. And it knocks the wind out of him. Have you ever had that happen? This knocks the wind out of him for seven days because of what he experienced. The vision, just really, what God gives to him is an amazing thing. It knocks the wind out of, we could call him Zeke, even Ezekiel. God has just demonstrated his wonder and awesomeness in the first two chapters. And God tells him about the judgment on the house of Israel. And he tells them how they will reject his message. Go, tell them my words that I'll put in your mouth, but they're not going to listen. God tells them that. And so he's, he's just so amazed and astonished by what God shares with him. One person commented the other fact that contributed to the overwhelming weight of the moment was his declaration. He sat among them for seven days. He watched as the people lived and watched what they were doing as a prophet in the midst of the people. He was identifying their needs and he was feeling the weight of the impending judgment. It's a reminder that we must identify the needs of those that we're serving and those around us as we see them lost in their emptiness and searching for answers and solutions and hope. It's good for us to see them and, and try to understand where they're at and where they're coming from and what may be going on in them. 
we don't participate in godless lifestyles, but we can recognize the emptiness and sense what's going on in those around us. Now, he was there for seven days. Seven is important in several factors in the Old Testament. The priestly ordination ritual in Leviticus 8, that would take seven days when they would be ordaining somebody to the priesthood. The Leviticus tells us also a seven days of period of ritual purity that the priest would also endure. So if they uh, touch something that would be considered unclean to them, they would be set aside for seven days. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, it's also allowed it, uh, seven, t- seven days for a mourning. And uh, there's an example of that in Genesis 50 for Jacob and Joseph, and then also you have First uh, Samuel mentions that. And Job sits for seven days and nights after the loss of his family. So seven's important for uh, several reasons throughout the Old Testament. And here is, is Ezekiel just sitting there, soaking in what's seen, what he's seen around him and pondering and thinking about what God has revealed to him. So what knocked the wind out of Zeke? What did he see that totally shocked him? We'll answer that in a moment, but I'd like to begin in the opening verses of Ezekiel, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1, and we'll see his call to ministry. Now, age 30 is an important number for those in Israel, because at age 30, if you were part of the tribe of Levi, which this guy would have been, you could be ordained into the priesthood. And that was only at the age of 30. They wouldn't do that until you're at least 30 years of age. So notice he's talking about his age here in the first verse. Now it came to pass in the 30th year. Okay, this isn't about the kings and those who are ruling. He's talking about how old he is. In the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity. We know that King Jehoiachin was, he was an eight-year-old king. He reigned for three months. And we know the date, the year. It was 593 B.C. 593 B.C. So we have the exact day and month for when he receives this vision. The word of the Lord came expressly, that means directly, unto Ezekiel the priest. Now, he's not in Babylon, but they call him the priest. I kind of speculate that since he was from the priestly family, maybe they would nickname him, oh, he's the priest. You know, like preacher boys are sometimes called, oh, he's the pastor, he's the preacher boy. I I don't know. But he's called the priest. He's not near the temple, so he cannot perform the functions of a priest like he would would have if he was in Jerusalem. But he's called the priest here. The son of Buzi... In the land of the Chaldeans, by the river Kabar, the hand of the Lord was there upon him. That phrase is very important. We find it another time in the passage that we'll look at later today. Here we find Ezekiel's call to the ministry. He's from a priestly family. Ezekiel means God strengthens, strengthened by God, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, God strengthens. And he spent his early childhood in Jerusalem, but was taken hostage with other hostages by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon in 597. He would have been around 25 years of age when he was taken into captivity. And if you go back to the Chronicles and the Kings that describe that event of them being carried away, they left the sick and the infirm and the older folks and they 
took all the young ones, ones that they thought they could use in different ways in their society, and at 25, he would have been one of those young guys that they took. And so Ezekiel is preaching in Babylon at the same time he's contemporary with Jeremiah, who is preaching in Jerusalem and in Judah. And so whenever you read the Old Testament prophets, it's kind of interesting to see who they're who their audience is, where they're living, and who their contemporary Both Jeremiah and Ezekiel give warnings of judgment because God's people have wandered away from God. And so while one's preaching in one place, the other's preaching a very similar message in another. In fact, Daniel, Daniel's early years and his incredible ministry happened just before Ezekiel shows up. So Daniel's also a contemporary. Ezekiel may have known an, an older Daniel. It's possible as well. When we look at these dates that are given here, Jeremiah identifies this year as one in which both Jerusalem is starting to plot a revolt. And later on, we'll find Ezekiel is talking about how the, the, the people in captivity, they're planning the revolt. It was happening the same year, the same year that Jeremiah received his message in the same time frame that Ezekiel receives his message from the Lord as well. And for the next 22 years, from the date that he gives, for the next 22 years, Ezekiel is a prophet of God, and he's relaying God's message to the people. Ezekiel and his compatriots have uh, lived in exile here. They've settled in a vicinity of the Kabar Canal, and the Bible tells, calls it here the Kibar River. And it's the equivalent of the Akkadian word Nar Kabari, which means Kabaru Canal. And there are 5th century manuscripts talking about and describing this canal. And it was built all throughout Babylon, corresponding to some of the major rivers, to give transportation and to move grain and food and things like, the, like we would normally use a canal for. Uh, there's an ostracon. Check out that little ostracon. That's an ostracon. It's a pottery type thing, and there's inscriptions on it. It's really faint on the image for you to see. But this ostracon was written 450 years before Jesus, about 150 years after, and it describes the same canal, the same river that uh, Ezekiel is describing but that he was living beside. And so the Kiber Canal, it was, it was an elaborate irrigation system in addition to moving things around. And it's, it makes a lot of sense for the Hebrew people to want to settle down by moving water. And apparently that's what they did here is because they saw themselves as being in a foreign land, being captured and in a foreign land. They saw that as being an unclean thing. So they would, they would go down to the river or go to that canal a lot for washing and in their estimation, cleansing. There's some parallels throughout the Bible. Ezekiel's vision includes uh, Stephen. Uh, he had a similar thing that he witnessed. Stephen sees the Son of Man, uh, Jesus. The, he sees the heavens open, the Spirit of God filled him, and he saw the glory of God. Oh, I forgot to show you. There's, there's the map there. There's a star. So just below Babylon, modern-day Iraq, that's where Ezekiel lived. And you can see it's, it's a long haul going straight across. People did not travel straight through here because it's, not, it's all desert. It's difficult traveling through there. They'd go up and around, basically. You have to go from water hole to water hole uh, is how they would travel. Okay, so uh, going on then, 
What Ezekiel sees, what he experiences, he's beside this, this canal, this river, and maybe he's just isolated for this moment. He sees a storm coming. He sees these cherubim. We'll look at them in just a moment. And then he sees the presence of God. The presence of God. We'll unpack what all this means. Stephen sees a very similar thing when he's being stoned. Uh, John, the apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, he sees the heaven open. He sees the spirit of God moving. He sees one on the throne of heaven. A rainbow he sees as well. And lightning. And four creatures in Revelation 4. So there's other men in the Bible who see a very similar thing. Just by way of outline. Verses 1, or chapters 1 through 24 are prophecies about the coming destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And it's all about judgment. So that's 1 through 24. We'll kind of briefly go over those today or next week. And then chapters 25 through 32 describe the judgment on Jerusalem like it's already taking place. So he says about 12 years before it happens, here's what's going to happen. And then by the time you get to chapters 25 through 32, it's about 12 years later, what God says will happen to Jerusalem and a temple, that all happens. And it's interesting that back then, even back then, the Bible described the Middle East and it pictures it as a boiling pot. A boiling pot, okay? Not much has changed in uh, 3,000 or 2,500 years. And then chapters 33 through 42 foretell of the millennial kingdom, a reunited Israel, and the future with God the Father. And we'll primarily in our series, seeing tomorrow today be going through those chapters and the, the really magnanimous events that take place in those. Here's another little uh, summary timeline. Somebody wrote that. And, and maybe you have study guides in your Bible or something. It's kind of, kind of interesting to see when, when the guys are preaching and when things actually happen. And, and that's just a little side note if you want to kind of look at that uh, sometime. Ezekiel is dedicated to sharing God's message with other people. And friends, we must be dedicated to sharing God's message with others. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a calling just as much as Ezekiel, not to be a prophet, but one who proclaims and shares the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's something that we can share. We must be dedicated to sharing the gospel message with others. So what happened that knocked the wind out of Ezekiel. What did he see that totally shocked him? We'll begin with this. Number one, he is called to prophetic ministry. In verse three, the word of the Lord came directly or expressly unto Ezekiel the priest. And so he receives this message from God. And he's the son of Buzi in the land of Chaldeans by the river Kabar, the location. And notice this phrase, the hand of the Lord was there upon him. By the time you get to chapter 3, the same statement. The hand of God was upon him. He's called to a prophetic ministry. Several times in chapters 1 and 2. Go, tell, declare, give this message. I'll give you the words. You tell them the words. Give them, speak my words to them. And he's called to ministry. And he's even told. God tells him, okay, you go preach. You tell them. I'll tell you what to say. You go with boldness. Don't worry about their response. Don't worry about their faces. Don't, don't worry about their expression or how they, they hate what you're saying. And he even tells them they won't listen to you. 
I'm calling you to ministry, but they will not listen to you. But he, he goes anyway, and he shares the message anyway. In Ezekiel 3, verse 7, the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. Ezekiel, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to listen to you. And, but I want you to go anyway. And he even says, why? For the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Now, can I suggest to you today that gospel ministry is a calling just like any calling. And some of you are called to be a parent, a father, or a mother. You're called to be a plumber or a technician or a manager or a teacher or a student or a, a business owner. And these, these are all callings. Sometimes we think of them just as uh, by way of a vocation. But God has specific callings in everyone's life. And what we do is important to God no matter what the occupation may be. And ministry, gospel ministry, is a calling as well. God's word came to him expressly, directly. Ezekiel, it's you. Here's my message that I'm giving to you to share with other people. Now, he had a, a special revelation from God. We have a special revelation from God. There's general revelation, which would be creation, and then there's special or specific revelation. That's the Bible. And so we have a special revelation as well. And this is how the Bible was written down. You have men and women who God moved in their life, and they spake some things, and they said some things, and they did some things, and some other guys, in some cases themselves, wrote it down. And second... Peter chapter 1 verse 21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we have a completed revelation, the Bible, and the Spirit, the Spirit, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, affects Ezekiel's heart several times throughout the passages before us. In chapter 1 verse 3, the hand of God was there. Chapter 3 verse 22, the hand of God was on him again. And then we have several other times where God says the Spirit was working in his life. So here's a question. And there's several young men here that may be considering what vocation they could be called to. What about a gospel vocation? What about a gospel calling? A ministry calling? How can I know if God is calling me to gospel ministry? I'll answer that briefly as part of our message. Here's the first thing, have a reverence. If you have a reverence for God, that, that should be a part of it. I have a fear of God. I have a reverence for God. Notice in chapter 2, verse 28, or I'm sorry, 1, verse 28, when the, he sees this vision of the Lord, he sees, this, sees the Lord in verse 28, the very end of it, when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. He has such reverence in him, that he hears this voice and he knows it to be God and immediately he responds by bowing down. He has a, a reverence for God. Someone who's not reverent towards the Lord would have a hard time in gospel ministry. So it's a good place to start. I have a, a reverence and admiration and awe and a wonder for the Lord. And secondly, the Lord places in that person a desire, a desire in their soul 
And he that desireth the office of a bishop desireth a good work. That's what that verse says here in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. So that's a God-given desire. I have a reverence for God. I have a desire that's instilled within me from the Lord. And sometimes it's, it's through the Spirit of God. Sometimes it may be a message that's compelling and is challenging you. And God uses that to kind of um, cause you to think. How we're thinking right now, like maybe, maybe I could go into vocational gospel ministry. But then how about having an inner willingness to serve the Lord? And we find that in Ezekiel's life as well. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, The Lord said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me, and he spake unto me, and set me upon my feet that I heard him. That, that spake unto me. And so he has this inner willingness to serve the Lord. The Lord says, stand, he stands. If he says, bow down, he bows down. If he says, speak, he speaks. We see that through the rest of the book, that he is willing. He's not just a willing, but he goes on then to actually do what God's called him to do. But it starts with that inner willingness to serve the Lord. And finally, God will give a message to deliver. And God tells him that. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, he talks about a scroll of a book. And he eats it. He eats it. Notice in verse 1, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest. Eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with the roll that I give to thee. Then did I eat it, and it, it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And then the next few verses, he goes and shares that word that God had just given to him. And so God will give that young man called to ministry, he'll give him a message to give. It's kind of, it's really great because I don't have to make stuff up. As a pastor, as a preacher, you don't have to make stuff up. You can just go look at the Bible and see what it says and deliver that message. Explain the meaning thereof like the Bible demonstrates. So Ezekiel is dedicated to sharing God's message. There could be some here today that sense a call to gospel Ministry. Let's talk following the service. Now, we don't need prophets today, so you can't say, oh, I think I'm called to be a prophet. Sounds like a good occupation. I'll be a prophet. Well, there's no prophets needed today. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 tell us, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in the past unto the fathers uh, by the prophets, hath in these days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the world. So, Following the lifetime of Christ and those last apostles, even they're not called prophets, but the Old Testament guys, there's no need for prophets anymore, but there is proclaiming what God's already given us in the Bible. So he's called to prophetic ministry. Number two, he sees the unique cherubim. Cherubim. Now, this is sensational. This is outstanding what he sees in the following verses. Notice verse 5 of chapter 1. Also out of the midst, well, actually we need to start in verse 4. So as he seated there, here's what he sees. I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north. So he sees this big storm brewing in the distance. Think about today even, in the desert, you can see a storm way off in the distance as it's churning up all that sand and the darkness. And he sees darkness and he sees these flashes of light that the Bible describes for us. And so he sees a storm a-coming. 
a great cloud and fire, a fire enfolding itself, and brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof was the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Did anyone see sunset last night? Okay, it was spectacular. It was the color of amber way off in the distance. It was, it was just outstanding. So he saw something like that, but even more grand. And he didn't have store buildings and cars and lampposts in front of his vision to see what was coming. Like we have a lot of stuff in our vision line of sight today. Verse 5. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. And everyone had four faces. Now look at this. Everyone had four wings. And their feet were straight feet. And the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. Think about a cow. A calf. Its feet. And they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. So these sparkling legs, these feet here. And they had the hands of a man under their wings, on their four sides. And they had four, they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. Everyone went straight forward. So it's hard for us to visualize this. Here's the best way I could think of it is these Cherubim, this is what they are, cherubim, they don't have to turn around to look at something or to move that direction. Okay, so here's the cherubim. He's going to be moving like this. And if he's going this way, he's looking backwards. If he's going this way, he's looking this way. Because one of his faces is heading that way. And his feet are turned that way. And his, his uh, wings are already turned that way. This is kind of incredible for us to comprehend. But he doesn't turn around. They don't turn like we turn. They have a circumference, 365, all, 360, all the way around. Just all around them like this. So let's keep going. For the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man. That's the one facing that we would consider forward. And the face of a lion on the right side. And they four had the face of an ox <clears throat> on the left side. And they four had the face of an eagle. That would be the back. When you talk about someone has eagle eyes and sometimes you joke with somebody like, oh, they have eyes in the back of their head. These guys did. And it wasn't just any eyes. It was eagle eyes in the back of their head. Thus were their faces. And their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of everyone were joined one to another and two covered their bodies. And they went every one straight forward whither the spirit was to go. They went and they turned not when they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. It looked like they were on fire. And think about how an ember is glowing. And like the appearance of lamps, it went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright. And out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Just like a lightning bolt. These guys can move around. And they did. Out of that storm, they, they rush in, they rush out, they move around. And he's witnessing all this like you would see a bolt of lightning flash across the sky. He sees these unique cherubim. Let's continue their description. Now as I beheld the living creatures, behold one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. So there's a wheel. Now, this, isn't, this isn't when the wheel was invented. Some people say that. It's kind of goofy. This isn't the wheel invented. This is just a wheel that they have. The appearance of the wheels in their work was likened to the color of a barrel, 
and uh, the caller had one likeness in their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel so think of a wheel spinning and a wheel inside so you have the outer wheel you have spokes perhaps and you have an inner wheel same idea for this and that when they went they went upon their four sides and they turned not when they went as for their rings they were so high this would be like the rims on the wheel they were so high they were dreadful and their rings were full of eyes round about them and this kind of gives us an indication how God is all seeing. He sees and knows everything. And when the living creatures went, and the wheels went by them, and when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up, whithersoever the spirit was to go, they went whither it was their spirit to go, and the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheel. I almost brought out a rope or a chain or something and spun it like this. And, you know, if you had, had it spinning, you could kind of see parts of it, but not see all of it. It's kind of what's happening here. You have the inner, inner wheel, the outer wheel. They're spinning around here, and, and one's really large. Verse 21, when those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. When those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit was in the wheels. Verse 22, and the likeness of the firmament on the heads of the living creature was the color of a terrible crystal stretched forth over their heads above. And under the firmament were their wings straight, and one toward the other. Everyone had two which covered his side, and everyone had two which covered on uh, that side, their bodies. And when they went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of great waters, as the voice of the Almighty. This is the word El Shaddai, the powerful, almighty God. He heard, he heard this voice, the voice of speech, as of the noise of an host. When they stood, here's what the cherubim did. They stood, when that voice sounded, and they let down their wings. And there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads. When they stood, they let down their wings. The number four is very important throughout Scripture as well, significant in the idea of the four corners of the earth. And Ezekiel will talk about that as well. These four creatures, cherubim, have four faces, reminding us in a way of the four gospels in an aspect. His kingship, Matthew, symbolized by the lion, his servanthood, uh, and that'd be Mark, symbolized by the ox, his perfect humanity. Luke, symbolized by the face of a man and his deity. John, symbolized by the flying of the eagle. And so there's some rich richness in even looking at these cherubim. And how it all points back to Jesus and the beautiful gospel of Christ. As the prophet is watching, Ezekiel sees this storm. It is astonishing to him. Their mission, the mission of cherubim, was to prevent anything unholy from coming into the presence of Yahweh God, the holy, perfect God of Israel. And these cherubim arrive just before God arrives. And in a way, escort the holiness of God to where Ezekiel can see this, this uh, vision of the Lord. More incredible than when the Secret Service go ahead of the president or his majesties, it's his majesties now, uh, royal mounts before they go on before. These cherubim go on before the Lord. In fact, every time you see cherubim, God's not far behind throughout the Bible. You see some cherubim? Okay, somewhere God is. What did the original cherubim in the Garden of Eden do? They had two of them there guarding 
the entrance to that, the garden there, guarding the holiness of the Lord. And so scripture tells us about these cherubim. There's some renderings that don't even do justice to what I tried to read to you just now. Scripture indicates that cherubim are angels. They are created beings. They are created by God. The Bible refers to angels by a number of terms like a host, sons of God, holy ones, spirits. Angels are intelligent beings who possess great power. And primary functions are revealed in Scripture. They engage in worshiping the Lord like we were singing even today, holy unto the Lord. They carry out his purposes on earth. And these cherubim in particular, they are guarding the holiness of God. Angels also are messengers. They deliver messages throughout the Bible as well, like when they show up to, uh, to Mary and to others throughout the, uh, the Bible. The exact number of angels is unknown. John talks about uh, myriads or thousands upon thousands of angels. But we know that since they were created beings, they are a fixed, it's a fixed number. They don't, do not procreate as the Bible describes. There's no marriage in heaven. We'll be like the angels in heaven. So there's no procreation of angels. So whatever a, a initial creation of angels was, that's how many there are. There are good angels. And there are fallen angels that the Bible tells us of. There's a hierarchy to them. Michael is the archangel. Uh, Satan, the Lucifer, he was one of the upper echelon angels, and he led some against the Lord in rebellion. After the fall of man in Genesis 3, that's where we first see the cherubim guarding the presence of the Lord in the Garden of Eden. In the throne room of heaven today, in the throne room of heaven, Revelation 4, 8, the beasts, the four beasts, which each of them had six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So constantly, the cherubim there in heaven are doing that. When we see God as holy, it changes our soul. And it adjusts our motivations in life. God sees everything. He knows everything. He's completely righteous and holy. Revelation 4, verses 9 through 11. Look it up later today. As John sees a very similar scene, but this time it's not a storm in the Middle East. It's in heaven when he sees this. And Ezekiel yields his life in service to the one and only holy God. For the next 22 years, he serves the Lord. He battles temptation like we battle temptation. He struggles with a temper. In chapter 3, verse 14, he gets heated sometimes. He deals with bitterness in chapter 3, verse 14. He lives a holy life set apart to God, and he endures the same struggles that we have that we endure today. But he remained faithful to live a holy life in light of his holy God. He knows that God is with him. Several times we find that the hand of God is upon me. The spirit entered into me in Ezekiel 3 verse 24. Ezekiel is dedicated to sharing God's message with his people. He's called ministry. He sees these cherubim. And this is the most astounding of all. He sees the presence of God. Verse 26, as we conclude our message, and above the firmament that was over their, head, their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above it. And I saw the color of amber as the appearance of fire about, about it within it. 
from the appearance of his loins even upward and from the appearance of his loins even downward. I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire and it had brightness round about and the appearance of the bow that was in the cloud in the day of rain. He's not specific about Noah's rainbow, but he's saying when it rains and you see a rainbow, that's what it's like. And friends, I've never really thought about this. But there is a rainbow over crowning the pinnacle of God the Father. The most spectacular, brilliant, jaw-dropping, amazing rainbow. Spectacular that you could even dream of is arcing over our deliverer, Savior, God. This is the scene that he sees. So the appearance of the brightness round about, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard the voice of one that spake. What a majestic scene he sees. And so for the next seven days, he just sits there like, what did I see? What has God said? What he's called me to do. Think about this for just a moment. No man has seen God at any time. He didn't see God. The scripture right there tells it, tells that to us. He didn't see God. He saw the presence of God. And he was dumbfounded by it. It's absolutely amazing. Can I suggest to you when we see God high and lifted up like this, when we see the Lord like this, it'll change our lives. It'll affect our decisions. It'll help us with our attitudes. It'll change a lot of things in life. God's throne is now visible to Ezekiel, and this array of blinding light indicates that God's presence was on the throne. He sees this rainbow, and the cherubim stood with their wings folded. But here's what Ezekiel does. He gets down probably on all four, and he bows down to the Lord. And for the next seven days... God transports him somewhere else and he just sits there and he's thinking about this. Wow. This is the same God that we serve today. He's worshiping the Lord as he bows down to the Lord. He fell upon his face. Worship is a reverential response of creation. And it's the one that we should give to the Lord. All creation should look at the Lord and, and, and see him in such a way that we want to bow down and worship to him. Worship encompasses a variety of activities, uh, bringing forward uh, an offering to God as an act of worship. Bowing down in his presence is an act of worship, an outer expression of an inward attitude that I am worshiping the Lord in and with my life. Uh, These different words that are used have to do with bowing down and lifting up or exalting the Lord. And sometimes that word halal or praise is connected to that. So while I'm bowing down on my knees and bowing my head to the Lord, sometimes we even lift up our hands and praise to the Lord of How wonderful and majestic and incredible he is. So what's your response like to God? When you talk about God, when you think about God, when you read scriptures about the Lord, it's just kind of like, that's not the Christian response. How do you respond to God? Do you bow down in worshipful prayer? Do you raise your hands in heartfelt praise? Do you remain silent, meditating on him? These are all proper responses 
But it should never be like, whatever. Never, ever should that be our response when we get a glimpse of who God is. For the next seven days, he says they're amazed and astonished. Lord willing, next time we'll look at some of these things leading up to the prophecy. We'll look at some prophecies that he announces that do come to pass. But in the meantime, let's be dedicated to sharing God's message with others. Ezekiel answers a call to ministry. Is God calling you? Ezekiel sees the holiness of God and serves him. Are you living a holy life of service to God? And Ezekiel bows in the presence of the Lord. Do you bow down and worship God? I encourage you, put some worship music on, sing to the Lord. I encourage you to take moments where you bow your head and you pray and you converse with God. And I encourage you to take a Bible in your hand or a digital copy, whatever you take, and read it. Get a message from the Lord, from his word. It always pays to serve God, and it may not seem like that in sometimes in our life. There were some missionaries, missionary couple returning after many dozens and dozens of years of faithful service in Africa. And this was a time when uh, people would take large ships across the, to other continents. And, and the missionary couple returned, and it happened that on that ship was an important diplomat. And when they pulled into shore and were about to dock, they noticed along the shore that there were people all there. Bands were ready to play music, and people were there to give applause, and large banners that said, Welcome Home. And uh, when they were on the side of that ship looking over, they saw when they finally docked that the diplomat walked off the plank and went down, and they picked him up in a limousine after all the music and announcements and things were given about how incredible the diplomat is. And the missionary husband looked at his wife and, and he said, it, it just doesn't seem right after all these years that we would have this kind of treatment for this fellow over here, but not for us. To which his wife, the missionary lady, put her arms around her husband and said, but honey, we're not home yet. It still pays to serve God, whether you realize it today. Ezekiel goes for 22 years he sees the judgment in the first half of the book happen. He sees the people turn around and say, no. But he continues to serve. Let's be faithful to deliver God's message as well. Let's take a moment and visit with, with the Lord in prayer. Are you dedicated to serving the Lord like Ezekiel? Maybe there's one that says, I feel like God is calling me to ministry, gospel ministry. And it's something that I want to pray about today. I feel like gospel ministry is something for me. Is there anyone like that? Just raise your hand around here. Maybe somebody. God bless you. Is there anyone else? Thank you. That's, that's, that's amazing. Number two, are you serving the Lord with a holy life? God, help me to serve you with a holy life. That's my prayer today. Anybody like that? I see some hands already. Yes, you can serve God today, right now. A holy life. And then finally, will you bow down and worship the Lord? There's so many distractions, so many things vying for priority. Will you stop, visit with the Lord, and praise him? Bow down to him and worship. God, help me to be more worshipful is my prayer. God, God help us. Yes, many hands already. Yes, let's do it. Let's take it serious. When you see the Lord like Ezekiel sees him, it'll change your life. Father, we thank you for this time to gather and worship to open the scriptures and to see a glimpse of just your presence. How magnificent, incredible your presence is. 
We thank you for Ezekiel's example of bowing and worshiping. And we thank you for the message that you gave him. Lord, you've called us. You've given us your words. You've called us to share the truth with others. Help us to be faithful to do that. Let us take time to worship you today and to yield ourselves as holy vessels in service to you. We pray that you bless us now. Help us as we go from this place. Thank you for all that you've done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.